Hello again and welcome to the Les Represent podcast, the podcast about everything lesbian and lady-loving queer, meaning bisexuals, pansexuals, asexuals, demisexuals, and anything else I didn't mention. I apologize if I didn't. You were all very valid all the same. Uh, we talk about our stories, our experiences, our representation, and what that means to us, and even more with our lovely guests. Uh, wow, it's hard to believe it's 2019 already. It's been a crazy year, and you know what? I believe we're going to make this year even better. Um, this year, we're going to start the podcast off with talking about queer content, and I have a lovely guest here today. Why don't you introduce yourself? My name is Spencer. I am 25. I live in Ohio currently. Um, I am the creator slash host of a web show on YouTube called Representation Matters. Uh, it's a it's kind of like an educational web show. I talk about a lot of things like st uh, statistics and coming out stories and personal stories like uh, how they feel about being in the community, the LGBTQ community. And yeah, I mean, right now I'm on my fifth episode. I am trying to get the fifth episode out, but it's taking a little bit longer because it is the finale and it's going to be a lot more elaborate than the other ones. And uh, this episode is about non-binary folks in the community and how they feel, whether it's um, ostracized or um, not really a part of the community at all. So I'm just kind of gathering a lot of people for that right now. It's going to be like a talk show host kind of episode. So there's just a lot of preparation for that. Um, recently I was in LA, I was a part of something with Tello Films. I'm not really sure how much I'm allowed to talk about that because I'm not sure when the movie is coming out, but yeah, I'm, I'm trying to be more involved with Tello Films just because they seem to be really involved in representation, um, proper representation. Yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm just kind of, I'm an artist. I like to paint. And I am an actor, and I am a video creator. I'm a music maker. I just do a lot of random stuff. <laughs> that's fantastic, though. That's that's really great to see, because I know, speaking from my side, motivation is incredibly hard to find sometimes. Um, so what, have you always wanted to do this? Like, what started this for you to be this creative outlet for you? Um, well, it started in my early teens, honestly. I've always wanted to be an actor. I was always a really big fan of um, ActorEllen.com before they had all this weird stuff going on, um, to say the least. I've always wanted to be involved in the queer media. I went to Clexicon last year and that really just kickstarted everything. Um, and it was like, it was a life-changing experience. Oh, that's fantastic. That's super fantastic. I unfortunately missed it last year, but I'm hoping this is my year to go. Yes. Oh my gosh, do it. My girlfriend just won a scholarship, which was awesome. It was like the best thing that could happen to us because it's so expensive to fly out to Vegas. Wow. Does that include the plane right ticket? Um, but the, you know, getting a plane ticket out there is not the most expensive part. It's staying um, in Vegas at the, like the Tropicana or something. That's going to be a fun thing to navigate, but I'm going to figure it out. Yeah, I'm you should definitely go. Just being surrounded by all of those people who have, like, the same emotions and, you know, feelings about, like, the 100 and when an herb, it's just, like, so wholesome. Honestly, it, you have to go. It, it's amazing. 
I'm excited to go. So you started this back in your early teens. Did you always know what you wanted your focus to be, or did this just become something you decided really, really needed um, to be well, focused on? I lived in Ohio growing up, and we didn't have a lot of money, so this was always kind of just a dream. It wasn't something that I, I really thought was going to happen. Um, but when I turned uh, into my 20s, I realized that as an adult, I can make whatever I want to happen as long as I have the means, whether that's motivation or money or whatever. Um, honestly, Clexicon is what kickstarted to really being involved in queer media. I met Kristen Baker, who's the head of Telefilms and um, it's just kind of skyrocketed from there. I, I'm not, you know, I'm still new to all this and it's definitely hard to break into this kind of business because it's the queer media community is very small and tight knit, um, is what I'm learning. So it is, but I also, I also think about there's, since it is so small, there's always room for more. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like we can't, I, it's it's really strange. It's almost like we grab onto this mentality that um, then we have to be somebody big in order to make something. Because in the heteronormative world, you know, there's like a lot of different things going on at a time, but there's always like the niche people that are really good at what they do and they're really looked up to. And we feel like we have to be that to contribute in our own community, even though that I don't think yeah, that's Yeah, I feel like from my experience in this community, everyone's been so welcoming and they really want you to be involved. And I, I feel like, so Telefilms is having this like pitched produ uh, production thing going on right now and they've been doing it for a couple years. And I think that's a really great opportunity for people like me who otherwise wouldn't be able to like pitch to a large production company, these ideas that are just swimming around in our heads constantly. Um, their holiday pitch production seems pretty cool. I want to submit something, but I have a couple ideas. It's just hard to gather them and, and really put something solid down. It's kind of hard for me. So Clexicom was a, was a great vessel for you to figure out what you wanted to do. Was there a specific reason that you chose video as the media that you want to, to dabble into? Um, well, you know, I've always wanted to be an actor, but breaking into that business is a lot harder than I thought. So I kind of had it in my head when I met Kristen Baker. I was like, you know, she's making her own stuff. She's literally just directing and writing and producing everything that she wants to put out there. So I basically took that mindset and I'm creating videos starring me because that's what I really wanted to do. Um, and I'm able to share my ideas and also be the one presenting them. Um, that's what really motivated me and gave me the the push to do that was meeting her at her booth at Clexicon. Um, also just being there at Clexicon and seeing all of the artists and the creators at all the booths around was super awesome because everybody there was just so creative. Everyone there was just wanting to share their queer creativity, basically. And it's great to see that there are more people out there because sitting behind a computer screen a lot of times you don't really you can see the whole picture like for me I wasn't sure you know I was like I'm gonna do a podcast about this thing and I thought you know I was gonna perhaps there wasn't very many people out there and the more that I went through this and the more that I've met other people I've realized there's a lot of 
There's a lot of other podcasts out there. But at the same time, you know, you don't feel like you don't have a place because there's just so much room to grow. Don't you think so? Yeah. So I definitely feel like there is a lot of people out there trying to do the same things as I am, or at least doing doing it in some way. I didn't think that I was going to gain any views on my YouTube and I'm still kind of growing. I only started this like three weeks or sorry, three months ago. And, um, but the more that I'm, I'm putting, the more concept content that I'm putting out there, the more that I realize that people want to see this, they want to see all kinds of representation. Um, and I being, you know, a white passing girl, just talking about like really serious stuff. I do get comments from men who are like, this is a great point, but you should be less hysterical about it. And I'm just like, when was I hysterical at all about this? <laughs> talking about uh, Lexa's death in the, in the 100, I was talking about queer baiting and, you know, the barrier gaze trope. And some guy really had the audacity to be like, yeah, this would be great if you weren't so hysterical. And I had to go back and watch the video a couple times to, to see when I was being over the top. And I really don't think I was, so... You were probably just using intense language. I've had somebody critique me this way too. And I think that's just, I don't know, that just might be men, not to throw that out there, but it's almost like they're not used to having a woman with strong opinions about something. And there's that awful dual standard of men and women can sit, literally say the same thing, and yet it will be heard differently. Yeah, that would be a great segment to have someone sit down and literally say the same things to a group of people to see how they take that point of view. I don't even know how you would, how you would even set that up. It's, it does sound like a fantastic idea. So since I'm curious, cause I work strictly with audio, how do you set up for your videos? Like, is there a script? Is there a process you want to go through or do you want to keep all your secrets to yourself? Oh no, I'll share. Um, so basically I, when it comes to uh, filming it, I just use my iPhone because my Canon camera, for some reason, I can't connect my video to my really old, like, Toshiba laptop. So I just use my iPhone for most of it. But I start off with an idea for the episode, and then I kind of branch out into the community, and I get opinions or uh, different point of views of how they feel about the topic. And then I kind of include all those opinions. And most of my episodes, I include the actual audio or video of them speaking that opinion. That way they can be more involved than me just sharing their opinions by myself. Um, there's not really a script. I usually run by uh, statistics or facts that I learn, and then I just kind of reiterate them. But yeah, I just kind of wing it. And it looks like it's doing great so far. I actually watched a couple of your videos. Sorry, sorry, I didn't leave a comment. I keep forgetting that I have to like make a YouTube account and then I forget that I had a YouTube account and it's just, <laughs> it becomes a huge <laughs> Yeah, but, I understand. Anyway, but I, that's exciting. That's really good. How do you go about select, well, hmm, how to word this? How do you, how do you decide which subjects you want to approach first? Are you, do you pick subjects that are closest to you or does it just, issues that you see around in the community? I definitely pick issues that I see in the community, uh, lack of representation. Since my web show is based on proper representation, I look for topics that need to be spoken about. Um, 
but I, I plan out my episodes um, per season. So each episode is about uh, 10 to 25 minutes long. And then I, so it's really funny because I actually name the episodes before I pick what the topics are because naming something can really set the tone for an episode. And it's easier for me to kind of uh, lay out what's going to be done. So I, I, I picked five episode titles for this first season and then I kind of uh, explored each topic uh, about a week or so before the episode. So the very first episode was about queer baiting and the barrier gaze trope. And that was something that was really close to my heart just because I've you know, been affected by a lot of, of the deaths in the media, especially in 2016. And uh, the second episode was uh, coming out stories. And I, I felt like everyone had a different story. And some of pe- some people are still in the process of coming out because coming out is such a process. It's not just, hey, I'm queer. It's like saying, hey, I'm queer, like 50 different times to 50 different people. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I kind of just, I title each episode and then I, I go with it. That's what I do. But each episode is based off of something that needs to be said. You know, it's, it's based off of what needs to be represented. Okay. So why don't you walk us through a couple of your episodes and what they're about? Okay. Yeah. Um, let's see here. So I have one episode where it is uh, coming out and that's basically sharing the different experiences of, of coming out. And with that episode, I've contacted a bunch of people. I'm, I'm a part of some Facebook groups and I kind of reached out to people in those Facebook groups about whether they want to share their story or not. And I got some really awesome, really awesome testimonies, um, specifically by some uh, trans lesbians people. And they, their stories are just so important because when someone thinks about it, uh, someone who is transgender, they think it's just like female to male or male to female. And that's that there's so much more to that. There's like, yeah, maybe this male is, is transitioning into a female, but maybe they are still attracted to women. And so it's hard for family members to understand that because they're like, Oh, so you're still a straight male. And it's like, no, they're a transgender lesbian. So I really wanted to, to show that, that story. There was, there was two people, um, let's see, Anna and God, I can't remember the other woman's name. Um, but their, their stories were just so powerful. Um, they're coming out stories because they've been through a lot of hardship and I, I wanted people to know that coming out isn't just, you know, happy, like, Hey, I came out, my parents were okay with it. And I feel like in the media, when someone comes out, they have like the scene where the mom and dad is like, oh, I don't accept that. And then at the end of the movie or the episode, they're like, okay, we accept you. But it's more like they get kicked out. They have to find a new home. They have their partner leaves them because they don't want to be with um, that certain gender or that sexual orientation. So, uh, yeah as long as my episodes are properly representing people, that's the goal. And I feel like this coming out episode that I did was super important just because there's so many different stories of coming out. There's people who uh, 
I don't know if you need like a content warning or trigger warnings, but there are people who try to commit suicide because the reactions they get and they develop eating disorders and there's family abandonment and it's just really, really deep. It's so crazy how hard it is for some people. I personally didn't have a really bad coming out. So in that episode, I did share uh, my own coming out story, but I didn't really dive into it too much because it wasn't super sad. And I didn't want that to be the narrative because there is like a hundred different narratives to that sentence of coming out. Um, but yeah, the, the season finale episode is going to be pretty cool because that's focusing on non-binary folks who may not feel like they are a part of the community because they don't identify with either gender. And uh, I'm, re- I'm really excited for that one because it's like a talk show type, type episode and I'm going to be bringing in a lot of my friends, people I know personally. I'm going to be going on the streets of uh, Athens, Ohio. We're in a college town, so I'm going to be going into the college area and kind of asking them their opinions. It, it should be really cool. It should be really cool. That does sound really fascinating. I, I hope you bring somebody with you when you do that. Yeah. Um, just just because I, coming from a conservative background, unfortunately, uh, I live in Texas, and people have very different and sometimes very strong reactions to certain things. Um, and I just, I hope you're safe. Yeah. I, I'm in a college town, but I'm also in Appalachia. So it, it's, it's a roll of the dice. It does. It just depends on who you're, who you're around. Absolutely. But that definitely sounds like a conversation that needs to be had. I don't see a too terribly non-binary people. And I think I would definitely like to learn more because I think the first introduction to that I actually really had was probably La Fontaine from the Carmilla show. Yeah. And I think, I think that, I think the community could definitely benefit from having more people like that. And, you know, Catherine's been an amazing advocate for non-binary people. And I love their Twitter. Their Twitter is hilarious. They are true comic gold. And I think I would really like to see more like that. I would see more people out there that's just tell them, tell them it like it is. Yeah, there's, there's really not a lot of uh, representation in the media when it comes to non-binary folks. Uh, La Fontaine, obviously, but, um, so like in the new Sabrina, I don't know if you've seen it on Netflix, the chilling adventures of Sabrina. I've only seen half of it and I am guilty. I'm guilty of doing that. I'm guilty of watching half of a show and then not watching the rest of it. Well, I mean, Susie, the the little girl who plays Susie, she's uh, been called a dyke and everything under the sun in that show. The actor who plays Susie, uh, their name's Lachlan. They are actually non-binary. And I really wanted their character to be non-binary because Susie, the character, doesn't seem like they really represent either gender, but but they're called a dyke all the time throughout the whole show. So I just... Did they actually go into what Susie was... Which, oh, I don't even know what pronoun to use now. Did they even say what... Oh, I'm going to say she, and I'm going to take a dive here. Um, did they say what she identified as? Because I only got halfway through the show, and I, they just kept saying dyke and dyke and dyke and dyke, and I'm just like, oh, I'm so ready to not hear that word anymore. <laughs> I feel like they kind of 
dive into it a little bit. Um, there is one scene. I'm not going to give you any spoilers or anything, but no, I want spoilers. I can't. So I, I can't remember what the other uh, girl's name is. She's got the really curly hair and the glasses. She starts the Wicca group. Um, she's Sabrina's friend. Um, God, I can't remember her name. That's that show is. Wild. It is, yeah. Um, but Susie and her show. get really close, and there's the scene where Susie like lays her head on her lap, and like they're really close, and it's it's a very tender moment. And I think that's kind of like a hint at whatever's to come in this next part of it. But um, no, they really don't. They really don't dive into what her sexuality is. Now, when you're referring to the character, it is she. But when you're referring to Lachlan, okay. the actor, it is they, them. Yes, that's that's what I thought. I just wasn't sure because they didn't pay much attention to Susie. And there was there was a scene in the middle that happened where Susie said she wouldn't be an abomination. And it literally broke my heart. And I had to take a break from the show. And look, I haven't come back to it. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. But I'm just a, I'm just a busy gal. But that's that scene tore me up. Her saying that she wouldn't be an abomination. And that's a word that's thrown around a lot down here. And it's, it was just, oh, it was heart-wrenching to see it because I, growing up, it was, it was a very isolating experience. So, and I was just hoping that we would be past that at this point. I know we still have a lot of work to do, but it's, oh, it was just, I was hoping not to have to see it as much anymore to see that anguish to see someone fighting who they are just to fit in with somebody else or this to be guilted into being like everyone else yeah it was it was harsh and I know a lot of other people go through that so perhaps perhaps it was more of something I needed to see to realize that there's still a lot that we have to do yeah absolutely um it it seems weird but the show Sabrina um this Netflix series they use like Satanism as like their religion as witches, but there's a lot of weird Christian undertone to it. And they literally just like, they literally just replace the word Jesus with Satan in some of the sentences where it would, it feels like it just came straight out of the Bible. So I know it's just, it's like, what are you trying to tell me about Satanism? I can't, like I literally sat down and I'm like, what is this show trying to tell me? <laughs> like I kind of, being from a very Christian background, I kind of was like, oh, this is this is hilarious. And then I was like, oh, I don't understand. And then it's just, it's a lot of confusing narratives to go along with that show. But I think it's just kind of what the show is about, of the being careful what you hear and who to believe about things. Yeah, and the show's definitely directed towards a younger audience, I felt. Like, especially at the end, there was some weird, I mean, Sabrina, the character, is only like 16. And there was some weird, like side boob nudity and I was not comfortable with that at all um I hate how they do that yeah it's just like I don't need to see this little 16 year old girl in a bathtub I don't need to do that I I could I very much agree I don't need to see that I mean I don't I, I don't know it's always it always depends on what's appropriate like they had that scene where they seduce those four jocks in that mine part and I was like ah yeah. and then it turned out to be a spell and it was like okay but, but still <laughs> okay I mean I guess I should have expected these are from the same people who made Riverdale right and we're not going to get into that <laughs> show if that's no, okay no I, I don't like I that show I have not watched a lot of it I, I've seen yeah, like maybe I, two episodes of that show and I've, I've seen like the spoilers for Choni or whatever they're called the two girls and I'm just not into it I think that's baiting right there that's just baiting 
if I had to say anything, I'd say that's the only reason I get updates about that show. I mean, they're, they're a couple, they're, they're official in it, but it's just like, they don't get near as much attention as everyone else does. And it's just like, why have them there if they're just going to sit next to each other and hold exactly. hands? Exactly. Yeah. When the other characters are literally rock-dogging it on a locker. I mean, it's... And I'm which I don't, I don't need to see teenagers doing that either, please. <laughs> I think they only, you know, involve that relationship and those scenes just so they can get the queer community to watch the show, just so they can get views. Which a, a lot uh, of TV shows, a lot of TV shows and media, they do that. It is very, very, very frustrating. So I have, I have a question for you. What is your most infuriating example that you've seen as that of queer baiting? Oh gosh, let's see. You know, there's a lot of there's a, there's like at least three different definitions of queer baiting. You know, there's the one definition where they kind of hint at it in a trailer or a promo for a show or a movie, and then you don't really get it. And then there's also freaking Pitch Perfect three. Exactly. Oh my God, preach. So sorry. Continue. <laughs> but then there's also the definition of like they will hint at the relationship and they'll give them these tender moments and then they kind of just kill one of them off randomly, which is like the barrier gaze trope. I think the most infuriating one was like God, I, I feel like I'm I'm so much into fan fiction. I think that I feel like I read into things too much because I read so much fan fiction. Oh. My God, I feel you. I feel you all the time. It's been to the point where I can't tell if it really happened or if I read it in fan fiction somewhere. I know, exactly. Like, I'll, like, see a scene of something random, and I'll look at my girlfriend, I'll be like, did you see that? And she's like, no. <laughs> and I'm like, you have to read between the lines. And she's like, this is not fan fiction. Oh, my God. Um, but, yeah, I think it's... that my most infuriating thing was – I mean, God, I'm so affected by Lexa's death on the hundred. I can't stop talking about it. Like, I, I, I definitely. You're not alone. Yeah, you're definitely not alone on that. Oh, I know. I was a part at Clexicon. I was a part of this documentary where they interviewed people about how they were affected by it, and I literally started sobbing during the interview. It was so embarrassing. But oh goodness. <laughs> but I, I do think that the queer beating in the hundred was pretty, was pretty intense, just because. They set it up where Lexa was just this strong, powerful woman who was a leader and she wasn't really even allowed to express herself and, and love someone. And then Clark came around and she started, you know, falling in love and, and altering her leadership just to make it okay for Clark. And then they were like, I feel like the writers or the showrunners were just like, you know what, we need to just stop this right now which definitely killed the community in terms of like watching the show I haven't watched the show since like season four I never watched the show and that's mainly because I already knew about what happened yeah Alexa and I was like ah, I don't even want to get into that I don't even want to give my emotional energy into trying to get that I'm sure it's beautiful until the end but I just mm. Not in the place to waste that energy on anything right now. Yeah, yeah. Just read the fan fiction because it's so much better written than what fucking whatever his name is, Jason Rothenberg or whatever, could do. I've seen I've seen so many interviews where he's had a lot of warnings and he was just like, eh, it doesn't really matter because he's like, they just don't 
understand. It's it's just a it's just a widespread thing of the same story after another, which is they're warned, they're said you shouldn't do this, it's gonna hurt someone, and they're just like, uh, oh, I don't understand, so it must not be a thing. And they just do it anyway. And it's like I, I feel like a lot of those people just don't learn their lessons at all. Oh yeah. And I mean it's it's just a lot of conflicting information floating around. Like there's a lot of strong opinions on the internet. And I, I have a question. How do you weed out the misinformation? Because I see a lot of uh, a lot of propaganda from the other side where it's just trying to smear the name or it's fear mongering or anything just freaking awful. How do you sift through that information? Uh, definitely by like personal experience of the viewers or people who are interacting with that misinformation. I mean, I, I base a lot of my, my episodes on my web show on personal information, but also on facts and logical information. And I think that you really have to surround yourself with like-minded people who, who can help you kind of just skirt around that information, that misinformation. I still have an issue, you know, trying to avoid that. And so like, like I said earlier, I was a really big fan of AfterEllen.com growing up. And, you know, just like three or four days ago, something happened on Twitter where they were like, After Ellen is insanely transphobic. And I was like, what? No way. That's, in that's insane. And a part of me, like the little 14 and 15 year old in me who was a huge fan of this outlet was like, no, that's not true. Like, like, that's not true. You can't believe that. And then there was literally writers of that uh, online magazine who were quitting or, or their content was being taken off the internet. And those are the people you have to follow. The people who are literally quitting their jobs in order to stand up for what's right. Yeah, I saw something about that, too. Ugh. I, I don't really have much to say on that because I, I never followed after Ellen. I, you know, I'm probably going to get burned at the stake for this, but I don't think I was ever really an Ellen fan. And I actually have a reason for this, and that's because I didn't have a lot of interaction with the gay community until I was, like, in my 20s. Like, like later 20s. Like, I have... a a lot. The fun thing about growing up in conservative states is you don't see a lot of that reputation, representation because they don't want you to see it. Like, you have to wait till you get to, like, primetime television. Like, the first time I ever saw a gay couple on TV, it it was like some... It was, it was like a teenage drama show. Like, they got, like, one episode and then I didn't see another gay couple on screen for at least ten years. Yeah. So, it's... It's interesting, and that's that's one of the reasons why I started this podcast, because I wanted to meet other people. I wanted other people to meet other people and to realize that there are all sorts of queers, every shape, color, form, and everything, and that, you know, what we see on TV isn't all that there is. Because I've talked to so many individuals who, they saw this, this thing on TV, and they were like, well, I'm not that, so I guess I'm not gay. And they're like, it'll take them, like, sometimes five, ten more years to come across that, oh, wait, yes, I am very gay. And during those years, it's just a very, it, it's a very self-hating experience. Like, some people might not 
use those words exactly, but it's, you don't love your whole self and it's something you don't come to realize until you realize who you are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the only thing I have to add for that is when I first started reading after Ellen in the early two thousands, it wasn't really even affiliated with Ellen DeGeneres they kind of named themselves after her coming out episode, which was called the puppy episode. And, um, she, they're, they're not affiliated really at all. They're just using her name because she was a gay icon back in the early nineties and two thousands. Um, but yeah, like, like you said, you see something on TV and you're like, Oh, that's not me. So I must not be gay. That is so, that is such a good statement because that's where we need to pay attention because that's not proper representation. Um, that like, I, I remember watching Xena growing up and seeing these two women, Xena and Gabrielle just like interact with each other. And like, they were, they were in love. Let's just say that they were so in love with each other and, but they never really expressed it. And I, had they been together, I probably would have known I was gay, like, when I was eight years old. (laughs) But because they weren't gay together in that TV show, it was just, like, it just wasn't a thing for me. And it, it definitely created some weird, like... Yeah, like you said, like, some self-hatred. Like, why do I feel this way? Why am I so different? It, there's nothing like me. I'm obviously just an outsider. I'm an alien. But, yeah, um, how old were you when you came out? Oh, that's a great question. Let me see if I can remember, because for some reason, everything in my 20s is like, I say as if I'm out of my 20s yet, is <laughs> like mush like I try to remember years like me and my wife we have plaques on all over the house like with the date that we met the date that we got our house the date that we got married because we can't we can't remember (laughs) (laughs) um I want to say it it's a process it's definitely a process because I came out to myself probably when I was 19 like, I finally admitted it. I was like, okay, I'm gay. Because people would make fun of me because I wasn't interested in boys. I wasn't interested in holding hands. I was, I will tell you right now, I have dated boys and I was the worst girlfriend alive. <laughs> like, like you know those people they call um, the, the, the fuck boys who, like, they don't do anything with you and they just, the thing is, I didn't even have sex with them. <laughs> It was like they had to be the first one to text me. Um, I never would return their calls. I would literally spend, it would be hours between text messages, and I just didn't even really want to hold their hands in public. And I was just the worst girlfriend. And it, it wasn't fair. It wasn't fair to any of those boys. And I, was, I went through a period where I was like, you know, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just asexual. And I just, I labeled myself as that for a long time until one college professor walked in and I looked at her and she smiled at me and I went, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. I was like, okay, okay, I admit it. Because it literally slapped me in the face with something so discreet as someone just smiling at me that I was like, okay, I can't ignore this anymore. So I came out to myself when I was about 19 and I just kind of, it's been around that year, I pretty much 
tested it on coming out to all of my college friends, which they were open-minded. They, they didn't give a crap. And then I started telling the high school friends that I still knew, and they were like, we knew. <laughs> and I was like, you guys made fun of me. That's not the same thing. And they're like, no, no, no. We knew. And uh, I think around whenever it was that I actually proposed to my wife and we got we were going to get married is when I actually told my parents. So I did not give them the time oh, boy. <laughs> to, unfortunately. But it's not like they didn't know. Sure, yeah. That's just been the thing. It's just like it's been the elephant in the room for a very long time for them. And I just made it very, very, very real to them all at once. So they took a they took a couple of years to get used to that, unfortunately. Um, but they're 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 they've can't deny it now, and they invite us to Thanksgiving now. So it's it it worked out in the end. It just takes time. And I got off on a tangent here, and I don't remember what we were talking about. Oh yeah, <laughs> coming out yes, but coming out is a process that happens over years and will happen for the rest of your life. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I used to be a bartender and. I came out every single night, pretty much. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So tell us about your first coming out, if that's something you want to share. Yeah, sure. Um, so I came out to myself when I was about 15. I had seen the show South of Nowhere. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. I also haven't watched that. It's on my list of things to watch, but I'm also trying to figure out how long I have to watch it before I get what I want to see. <laughs> um, very little time do they start giving you what you want. Like, it's like, oh, it's like the third episode. You're like, okay. Uh, oh, nice. But it's very poorly executed. They, they portray the bisexual girl, Ashley, terribly. Oh, my gosh. They make her, they make it seem like all bisexuals are slutty and they're just like, it's just, it's a terrible representation of bisexuality. But... They are in game and they grow old together, so that's cool. Um, but yeah, I came out Aww. to myself about the age of fifteen when after I saw that show because I had kind of known something was up with me because I was also a very terrible girlfriend to boys, and I would never hang out with my boyfriend alone. I always had a friend come over. And not that I was, like, fearful or scared. I just didn't really want to spend time with him. So I'd always just invite, like, my best friend <laughs> over. Um, but I started coming out to important people in my life from the age of 15 to about 18. And um, it it was not hard because I was, like, I was – I grew up in a – and a group, I grew up with a group of women who were all queer. Um, How was that experience? It was amazing. I was raised by like five women, basically, who were all queer, including my mom. And then, but when I was nine, my mom married a man who was severely religious in like the most gross way. And it seemed like she had like backtracked my mother. Like she was attending church and she was going like three times a week. It was so weird. It was like such a slap in the face. Cause I was literally three times a week. Oh, Who's got time for that? No, Good God. Like my stepdad would go to church like three or four times a week. And it got to the point, like in my head, I was making fun of him. I was calling it like circle jerk because 
I had no idea. Like, what could you possibly talk about three times a week? Like, the book is only so long. Like, I can tell you right now, there are documentaries about the whole Twilight Saga that are not that long. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So, despite being raised by a bunch of queer women, I had to deal with a very religious stepdad who had two very bigoted step, or I'm sorry, two very bigoted children. Um, So I went from a single child to being a middle child. And that was terrible. (laughs) Being a middle child is one of the like worst experiences I've ever had. Because like, you're too old to like do wrong, but you're young enough to not know that you're doing wrong. And so you just get blamed for everything. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, and not to mention you're the outsider. Exactly. Yeah. So. I was like the only other kid that my mom had. And so like growing up, my mom had a partner, my other mother, I have two moms. And when my mom got married to a man and had separated from my other mom, it was really hard because I was only nine. And I guess I was just like, I was a problem child for sure, because I was like, very rebellious. in the fact that my mom was like, betraying us, it felt like it was a betrayal. And uh, so when I was 15, I came out to myself. And then about 16, I came out to my mom who took it pretty well, just because she was, you know, queer herself at one point, I guess. And coming out to my stepdad was, I didn't even really come out to him. He just kind of knew and he treated me like shit because of it. And, oh, sorry. Can I say shit? I mean, we've already dropped the F-bomb a couple of times. I think we're good. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, so I never, I never really came out to him, but he definitely knew because he, um, he definitely liked to say, he liked to reference the Bible a lot in front of me. He made everything a biblical like lesson. And I was so over that. And by the age of 17, I was very out with myself. I was wearing like rainbow shirts that says I kiss girls by Katy Perry on it. And I was like, I did not (laughs) care who saw because I was just like, so over being surrounded by like the Bible Belt in Ohio. So yeah, and then like, it's, it's, it's interesting that you said you came out at 19 because statistically that is the age that uh, women come out. And then for men, it's like in their late 20s. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I was surrounded by gay for a long time. And then I was surrounded by the Bible. And then I was... That's a sad transaction. It it really, it was because I was confused a lot of the time because I I had seen, you know, girls kissing on TV and I was like, yeah, I'm totally that. I'm I'm gay. And then I had to deal with like my stepdad being like, you can't be gay because that's wrong. And I don't allow gay people to live in my house. And I kind of hid it for a while, but like everyone knew. And then I was at 17. I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm gay. You can like it or leave it. And that was it. That's great. You said you had another mom. Did you, was it like a joint custody or was it like, if this is too much 
details that's that's fine we don't have to go into it if you don't want to oh no um so like it was the early 90s so there wasn't really like so she didn't have any custody (laughs) no no um but my mom and her were together for like 10 years before I was born and they had like planned me together so I was like theirs and then uh when they had separated I didn't even see my other mom for like seven years and then it wasn't until I was about 18 to 19 that I I had reconnected with her and yeah um my mom isn't with my stepdad anymore and uh, for obvious reasons (laughs) and um she doesn't need that in her life yeah um and so they my mom and my other mom live like right down the street from each other oh my god yeah it's perfect that is wonderful I hope she I hope she is going well with her life now yeah um I don't know if she really identifies with any kind of sexuality um she's definitely into both women and men but yeah it's it's cool to be the product of just like another queer woman. And I think that, that when I say that to people, especially straight people, they're like, Oh, so your, your mom and the women she hung out with, like they made you gay. And I'm like, no. Oh my God. Oh my God. It's so annoying. Like the only response I ever have for those people, if I even feel the need to give them a response is yeah because hanging out with a bunch of straight people clearly did something for me <laughs> that's a good response I'm gonna use that next time because because really it's just this weird a uh, thing where they're like oh well this is the only thing that was different in your life this must be why you were gay like no like I literally I met my first outwardly gay person in college granted that is when I out also came out but that does not mean that I wasn't gay the whole rest of the time. It just means I didn't know what it was and I was too afraid to go into it because everyone else around me was different. Everyone else around me was straight. So I was like, okay, so I need to be this thing to fit into society, which a lot of times I feel like society is awful. But (laughs) (laughs) but it's just ugh. Ugh. I just it's it's 2018. It's it's too late for people to be ignorant now. It's just, they're like, please don't shove this down my throat. But it's like, it's not shoving anything down your throat. It's just you seeing something that's not the same thing you've been seeing for 20 years. Right. Like, it's not the same thing. Ah, people are fun. <laughs> to say the least. People are super fun. And I, I asked that question about the joint custody thing, because my, my mother's also been married, like, four times. Oh, yeah. She She's a very interesting woman but we won't have to go into that I would I would have called her she doesn't claim a sexuality either she just says that she's she's very boy hungry that's what she usually says when questioned about it but she is if I had to put something to it if she was willing to accept that I would say that she was situationally by that's that's cool at least she's open-minded enough I don't know. I've, I've asked her why doesn't she just identify as bi because I wanted to see, you know, maybe it was an older generational thing that they don't like to put labels on themselves so old, so, um, into life. Cause I, I find that the older they get, the harder it is, but also the more freeing it is for someone to embrace themselves. Cause I, I speak to a lot of women who are like in their forties and, you know, so some of them 
come out much later. I spoke to a woman actually in person, Ugh, a shock, I know. And she came out like after her first husband died. Wow. And she was like, it was, she was like, you know, once like, you know, we didn't really like, she was also belligerently drunk, but she gave me the most honest feedback I think I've ever had. Um, she, she talked about how her husband, um, you know, like she loved him. She loved him as much as she could, but you know, they didn't have fun in bed. She didn't like it. But, you know, because that was how you were supposed to do with marriage, she kept with it until he unfortunately died. And then she was like, you know what, maybe I'll, maybe I'll try this woman thing. And she was like, and the first time I was with a woman, I never looked back. <laughs> wow, that's And that's she's just cool. been, a, it's been a lesbian ever since. But she was married to this guy for like 10 years. And But, you know, that's what they say that marriage is like. It's just you, doesn't matter if you don't particularly like each other anymore, which, strange. Or that you even enjoy each other in bed. There's a huge stigmatism still out there, especially in the South, that, you know, if you don't enjoy it in bed, that doesn't mean anything. Because they're still pushing this agenda that only men are supposed to have fun in bed. It's, that's a conversation we don't have to get into. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, like, it's, it's interesting. I mean, sex definitely doesn't make the relationship, but... It's, it's important to be able to enjoy being with your partner in an in intimate setting. Absolutely. I believe that. Well, I, I keep getting off topic. It's very easy for me, unfortunately. But my mother, her response was that, you know, women are crazy. <laughs> that was her response to why she didn't want to pick being bi because she was like, women, she's like, women are crazy and they're hard to manipulate. And you know what? I just... I just prefer boys. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting seeing older people's definition of what sexuality is or the reasons why they don't claim it. Yeah, yeah. But you know, it, but, it, but it's up to them. They are who they are. It doesn't, you can't say that they're one way or another. That's identity is something that they pick for themselves. Also, you know, with our language constantly evolving, you know, the term like non-binary may have been around back then, but it wasn't used and it wasn't like understood. So, I mean, like that was a conversation. I just recently uh, taught a queer watercolor class to a bunch of adolescents and they, they're like seventh grade and they were like, yeah, I'm pansexual and I'm transgender. And they were so confident about it. And it's, their only reason they're confident about it is because this, our language has been evolving and it's being understood better. And the older generation, they didn't have that opportunity to use those terms with confidence. They didn't know what they meant. They didn't, you know, know people who identified as that. So yeah, I think that that's one of the reasons like my mom doesn't really identify as either or because she just didn't really have that. She just knew like gay and lesbian and maybe transgender. I'm not even really sure if she knew that term very well. So language is so, so powerful. Like people don't even understand. Like I try to, I try to tell people if you want to make a change, you need to change your language because you might, you know, there, there'll be people who will tell the homophobic jokes. They'll tell the racist jokes. And you know people can be funnier than that. But since it's an easy thing to do, they'll say that joke. And they don't realize that they'll say that joke to their friends. And their friends will say that joke to their friends. And then there'll be that one person, the one person who actually believes that joke as, like, 
serious, like this is how the world is, and they'll see all of their friends laughing around them and they won't think anything's wrong. They won't confront themselves that perhaps they have negative views of the world, that they will just think that, oh, haha, this is funny, see, look at all the people that agree with me, and it'll just cement further these negative thoughts that they think about, these racist, homophobic thoughts they think about people. And people don't realize how strong language is. Like, if you stop telling those jokes, if you stop using, oh, that's gay everywhere, it it changes the definition of the word. Absolutely. And it's, uh, but back to the important thing, which is there are classes for queer kids out there. Um, I didn't know this because I am obviously very antisocial, <laughs> but <laughs> I feel you. Um, but yeah, there is this place here in Athens called Arts West, which is um, a converted old church where they just do a bunch of artwork. And um, yeah, I was invited to come and teach how to watercolor and when I got there I didn't know it was like queer centered and I got there and I was like starting to set up and then like all of these very outwardly little queer kids just walked in and they were dancing and they were like reciting lines from like Hamlet and like being crazy I never I've never experienced something that intense as a seventh grade queer child (laughs) like and I didn't even know what queer was when I was in seventh grade. Like, that's amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. They were so confident in themselves. It was awesome. Like, how can people look at that and think it's wrong? I just, I don't understand. Yeah, and and they're just so innocent. Like, this one kid who is a uh, trans boy, he was telling us about how he chose his trans name, how he chose his new name. And his parents are Jewish, and he said that he chose his name based out of the Torah uh, of, like, a mountain, a very monumental mountain, and that that mountain was really important to his parents. And so he chose that name so that they could understand him more and kind of accept it, and they still don't, and it hurt him so badly because he chose this name for them, and he was just so out about it. He was just... It was like a little therapy session for everyone. We were painting. We were talking about our feelings. It was great. Oh, my gosh. That's something I would love to see. I would love to see a documentary about how people cho- choose their names. Yeah. It's, because it's I, can't, I, can't even, I can't even choose a tattoo. <laughs> like, I'm like, I don't know. I might not like this later. Like, how do you go about changing something as monumentous as your name? Yeah. Like, that's that's a that's really beautiful. And that's, I feel like they really have a way of claiming all that they are in that way. Absolutely. I wonder if they feel the same and I should probably talk to people. (laughs) That's how you learn. You talk to people. Exactly. (laughs) All right. So how do do you, mm, there are words. Do you think there are lots of queer, like this is a specifically a queer class or was this Yes. Just, they all just happen to be queer. No, this was a very specific class. Um, these kids go to um, Athens Middle School, which is only down the street from where Arts West is. So I, I don't know how they advertised for it, but it is very specifically a queer class. And everybody who works at Arts West is queer in some way. Oh, that's wonderful. I know nothing of Ohio, and already I like it more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Wow. So that's that's beautiful that they have the resources for that. Like it it really is cuz right now I'm close-ish to Dallas. I drive to Dallas to go to work and stuff and there's there's I see more and more resources available and it's mainly because I'm becoming a part of the queer community over here. But going back to my hometown which is only like 2 hours away, it's like there's nothing absolutely nothing there's no resources there's there's this woman i was speaking with that you know she's she's going to be a psychiatrist because there's no there's no queer friendly psychiatrist where she grew up like she went to a shrink because she was having a hard time and they tried to put her into conversion therapy and i've talked to other women who you know their family had nothing wrong with queers but since they talked to one psychiatrist who was very uncomfortable with queers. You know, she hid who she was for like five more years of her life because, five, ten more years of her life because somebody else made her feel like it was wrong wow. when she was in a vulnerable position. Even though her parents had nothing wrong with it, her parents didn't care. Ugh, it's, it's amazing how just little things in life really change for people. And I just, I hope it outreaches. It's, it's wonderful to hear that there's an outreach program somewhere in Ohio for queer kids. I'm just hoping it spreads everywhere. Yeah, yeah. It's I think it's because we're in such a progressive college town that we're able to offer those resources, but yeah, um we are in Athens, we are a bubble surrounded by like racism and homophobia. I I feel you. Yeah. Especially after these elections. I'm very aware of it. Yeah. Anything else you would like to go into? Because I, I wanted to dive more into about you and your family and stuff, but I don't know how much more you want to share. Um, I would like to talk a little bit more about representation, um, specifically. I'm so for it. Yeah. So I had mentioned earlier in the week to you on a message, uh, a message about like Latinx and uh, white passing Latino actors and such. Um, so like, I don't know if you've seen Jane the Virgin, the TV show. Yes. Well, sort of. I've seen it in gift form, okay. which is practically how I watch TV these days. Absolutely. Um, so the main character is played by someone named Gina Rodriguez. And she recently had this letter, this open letter in Variety, where she spoke about how the Latino community is literally like so loyal and prominent in the consumer market yet there's not a lot of representation in the media for them um like latinx makes for more than like 55 million civilians in the u.s and that's a lot and they buy like one in four tickets to every movie every weekend so that's a huge percentage of ticket sales yet there's like like since like 2012 there hasn't been one latino nominee for the oscars and what yeah isn't that insane um that last one was antonio banderas wasn't it i believe so i mean he deserves it but there's all others who also deserve it yeah and like white actors are usually cast for roles as latinos um oh god yeah like mark ruffalo uh, was in this movie called Spotlight, which is, like, an Oscar-winning win film. And he played, like, a Latino reporter. I can't remember the name in the, his name in the movie, but, like, Mark Ruffalo's not Latino. He's a white dude. And it was just... It's it's kind of... 
I want to use the word sad, but it's, it is sad. it's sad, but it's also like infuriating because if you're going to cast someone who is supposed to be Latino, specifically if they're a white passing Latino, you should probably cast a white passing Latino actor. Yeah, like there's no reason not to. There are so many people with so many beautiful faces that you can easily put there. Yeah. Like, yeah. And it's Latino it's is like an necessary. umbrella term. It's it's literally like the term Latino is, you know, it represents like uh, so many different countries and all of those countries have so many different skin tones. So like just to to cast a white dude as a light-skinned Latino was such a disappointment, honestly. That, that is really sad. I, I tend to have the, I promise this is relevant. I, I tend to like to watch um, South American dramas because Argentina is doing a fantastic job at queer representation right now. Like they are banging it. And literally I, I was watching Los Australia. I cannot speak it. I won't, I won't say that I do. I do not. My Spanish is awful, but I, I watched Los Australias and I've had people walk in and be like, oh, what are you watching? And they'll assume like it's a, it's an American drama because none of those actors are dark skinned. Yeah. Like none of them. And I'm like, no, these are people from Argentina. That's why you can't understand the words coming out of the TV. <laughs> and it's just, there's, there's no reason. There's no reason. Like, uh, I'm not even saying that's, hello, Kitty, that skin tone should dictate who gets on the screen, but there is, they literally have no excuse why not to use other actors for this. Exactly. There's literally no excuse. Like they, they could, let's pretend we're playing into the cards of they only want to see light skinned people on TV. Literally no excuse, which that's a bullshit excuse. I, I have big words to have with Hollywood, big serious words that, ugh. anyway, you continue, you continue. Just some editorial notes to fit in here. We realized after we finished the podcast that we spread it a little bit too much misinformation. I've been told that there was four Oscars within those five years, which is truly a crime. And the part where I was talking about Argentina, considering that Argentina is not a part of Latin America, makes that information completely unnecessary and I'm just really dumb. And I apologize to all of Latin America. Um, so anyway, back to the podcast. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, like, just to branch off that. Um, anyway, um, Gina Rodriguez is making this just like she's she's so involved in proper representation. She's uh, she was a part of this movie that was filmed in Mexico where the crew and the cast were 98 percent people of color, um, which is easy because they were in Mexico. And that's no excuse, honestly. But. She's she's making sure that proper representation is being done, and I think that she's like she's someone that I look up to a lot. She was she's uh, the main character in Jane the Virgin. She was in uh, the movie Annihilation with Natalie Portman, and uh, God, that movie was so good. I watched it on a plane to LA. But <laughs> um, yeah, I just think that she's someone to look up to. So whoever is listening to this should definitely check her out. I think so many of the queer community does, and that's mainly because they've added queer people to Jane the Virgin. <laughs> yeah. 
But I, I see a lot of people who definitely ship her with other with other women, like a lot. Uh, especially when she was in uh, Brooklyn Nine One. Oh no, Nine Nine. Is that what that was? I think it was. And then I realized that I don't watch that show either, so I should stop. Talking yeah, about I don't it. watch that show, so I'm not sure if she's in it. <laughs> I I know she was. She's a guest star, and she wasn't in it. And they were they were playing off that she was going to get together with the bisexual lead that's in that show. Oh yeah, yeah. That that woman was actually at Clexicon. Yes, she's she's actually really hilarious. She was recently on a different podcast talking about you know her being a bisexual as married to a man, and I. It's on my to-do list of what to listen to. I should stop talking about things I haven't witnessed. <laughs> but it's there, and people should definitely check it out. Yes, absolutely. So, oh, actually, we do have something else to talk about. Okay. So I have a segment. It's called The Guest-to-Guest Question. And basically, this is where my past guest asks my future guest a question. Okay. So, um, right. last time I spoke to... Mika from Les Watch TV. They, her and another woman, Tracy, they run a website that's basically a huge database for every queer woman that's ever appeared on TV. Like, not movies, but like TV. They have a huge database. It's absolutely crazy. I'm not trying to pimp them out, I swear, but <laughs> it's, it's, I would just recommend anyone to look at it if you're looking for something to see. Okay. They also, What's it called? Okay. Uh, uh, Les Watch TV. Les Watch TV. Okay, cool. All right. Yeah, and they, it's like they have it also on the representation scale, like how good the representation was. Like if it's crap, then they'll they'll let you know that it's crap. If it's basically one queer character and they end up dying, they have like lists of tropes on there. They have, you know, a clear warning if there's a problem with the characters. So you're not going to get like emotionally involved with a character just to have them raped, ridiculed, and killed later, which I've been through yeah that's really important that's pretty cool that they're doing that it's like a warning yeah they they're they're amazing people they're like wonderful I think it definitely if you're talking about representation and you reach out to them I think I think they'll find time for it I can't speak for them but they are so very much about representation especially representation in tv awesome they're like a crazy resource like we we had this fun game where we i listed off a television show that I was watching that I was really angry about and she narrowed it down to the exact television show we were talking about just through the tropes alone. Wow. It was it was insane. And it was an anime too, so that's good on her for being able to pinpoint which one I was angry about. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so her question to you that I think you're going to appreciate this question and I think I actually already know the answer, which is if you could bring back any dead quirk character from any piece of media, be it book, movie, TV show, who would it be? I'm going to surprise you with my answer. <gasps> Please do. I, I love surprises. I am going to choose Poussey from Orange is the New Black. Oh, God, she was another one I got into. Yeah. She, <laughs> she was taken too soon. I feel like her death was very important. Although that she, she, was, she was a part of that trope, her death was very important because she died because she was black because she was in this weird situation. She wasn't doing anything wrong. The security guard was on her back. She was saying, I can't breathe. It was very reminiscent of all the police brutalities that were, is going on in America. I would bring her back mm-hmm. because I obviously am in love with her character. 
but also I really feel for Soso and how she felt. And like I sob every single time I rewatch Orange is the New Black because Soso is just so fucking devastated. She's so sad. I haven't watched the rest of it since Pusey died. I'm going to be real with you. I haven't picked it back up because I was just like, oh, I'm so sad. I will one day, but to hear that Soso didn't immediately get over it is nice to hear. Yeah. Um, I also don't, I also want to know more about her character because I still don't, I still don't get a feel who she is. Then again, this show had, Orange is the New Black has done a really good job at making you like characters and then remember that they're also, you know, they're flawed people. Exactly. Some of them are awful, but some of them are very flawed. And it has one of the most interesting redemption stories that I didn't know that I was going to fall in love with. Like that trailer trash woman who went into the church because that's where she was getting attention and then came back out and was just like, no, nah, I'm, I'm going to be cool with the gay people over here. She's had like the most intense redemption story I've seen. And I'm just like, how did you make me like her? Like season oh, yeah. one, I was like that. Like I was like, I hate her. She is an awful human being. Season three, I'm like, okay, she's she's warming up. And I'm hmm. that that was a uh, Pensatucky. I think you're talking about. Yes, it was. I was trying to see if I could say her name without messing it up, and I was just too afraid. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Her story is pretty interesting. I think that she was the product of drugs and a weird... So much. Yeah. She's the product of people being ignorant. Yeah. Coming coming from someone who's been around trailer trash, who knows trailer trash, who knows um, white trailer trash very well, uh, I, I see how she got there. Like, I could follow her path of where she got to where she's at, and it all made very clear sense to me. And I was just like, I hate it. (laughs) I hate that you're pointing this out to me, because I don't like those people. And it literally was like, this is how this person you don't like got there. And I understand it more. And it was, ugh. That show has a very good way of, like, laying out people's lives. Absolutely. So So you know who they are, and then you see what they've done wrong, and you see how it's changed them. And it's... It has a very amazing way of humanizing people and pointing out problems. And then <sighs> Pusey's problem is just really sad. Absolutely. Because she, did, she didn't deserve it. That was my main issue is that she didn't deserve it. She didn't even deserve to be in jail for as long as she's been into it. For like being busted for like, I don't even know how much weed she had on her. But being busted for that. And it was just, oh. Yeah, it's it was intense. I... I, the whole show is very intense. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen Wentworth? I have not seen that show yet. I I'm actually have very little time for TV, so unfortunately I haven't seen a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. Wentworth but is I definitely worth it. It has it in the name, almost. Wentworth? Wentworth worth is it. worth it, yes. <laughs> That's the German one, or is it uh, New Zealand British? or Australian? I, don't, I can't remember which. Oh, crap. Don't tell that to anybody from there. They apparently get very offended when you can't tell the difference. I want to look so like I feel like it's New Zealand because like when you read the credits, it says a lot of like New Zealand, like New Zealand production or something like that. So I want to say it's New Zealand, but I don't know. Am I supposed to ask a question for your future guest? Yes, please. What is the question that you would ask another queer? Oh, God. Now that I'm put on the spot, I don't even freaking know. 
Um, it's okay. You can you can take your time. It is it is very difficult because there's no saying who my next guest is going to be. All right, all right. Let me think about this for a second. Let's see here. Okay, I have one. So my my question is, what is the best LGBTQ representation in the media that you've seen? That's a good question. Honestly, I don't even know the, the answer to that. So good luck to them. What? You don't know the answer? <laughs> I can't even think of like the best representation I've seen. Like, it, it does keep getting better. But when I think of representation in the media, I think of the negatives. So. Oh, boy. Actually, I do have another question for you. What is the most off-based, ridiculous miscommunication of representation that you've seen? Like misinformation of representation of LBG uh, people you've seen? It's definitely Ashley Davies from South of Nowhere back in 2005. Oh my gosh. Her, she played a bisexual character, but the writers made her such... She was just like really slutty and she kept going back and forth between this girl Spencer and this guy Aiden and it made Spencer feel like shit and it made Aiden feel like shit and Ashley was just this like self-centered bi girl and there could have been a lot more depth to her but I think they just kind of rushed that storyline so definitely her oh boy all right then um what do you think is the most misguided one I would say like South of Nowhere sounds like it was ignorance it was pure ignorance playing off of a trope that's completely wrong but what is the most innocent misguided one I think that's a hard question I don't think I even know what the heck I'm asking <laughs> I I mean when I hear that question I immediately think of Zena and Gabrielle I think that they made these two characters and they, the actors had so much chemistry between them, but because it was the early nineties, they just couldn't explore that. Yeah. I've um, heard, I've heard that people who have known the people that were on the Xena team, that they, they wanted it. They wanted it so bad. They pushed it as far as they physically could, but the network just would not let them do it. Yeah. I mean, like going back to South of Nowhere, like when, um, Ashley and Spencer had this sex scene they weren't even allowed to like be on the bed and touching and kissing at the same time they had to like what? hold hands yeah it, like, I remember this like uh, segment this vlog brunch with Bridget they had the two actors on there and they they said that they had to like stand in front of each other like praying mantises <laughs> with their hands up kind of like petting each other but not really like because they what? weren't allowed yeah what? I'm sorry. Can you can you like describe this scene to me? Because I haven't seen it, and now I'm just like really curious. Because I know that when people are like alluding to sex, they always have like really weird stuff going on. Like they just the imagery that people choose instead of sex are always an interesting choice. But what? Yeah. Okay. So let me describe this. Okay. So it is um, a night where Spencer and Ashley are home alone. And Spencer's parents are out of town and they are like, okay, we're going to finally have sex. Like we're going to do this. And as the viewers were like, oh fuck yeah. Like this is finally happening. And the scene is they're on the bed 
and they have their hands up in front of them and they're kind of like touching fingertips <laughs> and they're like dancing around with their hands kind of and they're just like slightly kissing like maybe Ashley kisses Spencer's little peck on the lips and then all of a sudden Spencer's mom just like busts through the door and yanks Ashley out by her hair and that's it wait what okay so they were supposed to be having sex but they didn't have sex or were they like then it just zooms to when they're done they don't get to actually have sex oh my god because they're that I believe it was on like the end network uh where like Degrassi and everything was and I don't think that they were allowed to show that but still like like I always it always makes me laugh the whole trope of someone busting in and interrupting something like actually the whole her mom grabbing her by the hair and like pulling the other girl out was just like okay when you walk into that situation you usually don't know what's gonna happen there's usually a couple of minutes of wait a minute and then it's just yeah tv always likes to skip over that minute like you just somehow automatically knew like parents are just supposed to know that oh my kid is in the other room trying to have sex i have to go stop them (laughs) it was very it was a very sudden scene because like you're like oh my god they're having sex and then they kind of show a scene where like her mom's in the car driving home and then like they're back in the room and they're like doing their little praying mantis dance and then, like, all of a sudden, Spencer's mom, who is really, really uh, homophobic in the show, oh, no. like, like busts through the door. And they kind of have a moment of, like, shock, but it's, like, immediately, like, grabs Ashley by the hair. She's still in her bra and, like, drags her out. And there's, like, this slow-mo scene where Spencer's like, no, mom, please don't. And Ashley's like, save me. <laughs> like, she just throws her out of the house without her shirt. Oh, my freaking God. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, but two girls laying on the bed doing praise mantis. I wouldn't have thought that they were having sex at first. <laughs> maybe, maybe this is just what homophobes see all the time. Maybe they just, like, can't help but see that everywhere, which, good on them, I guess. But, oh my god, that's the most hilarious thing I've ever heard in my life. I know, I think there should be a hashtag started called the praying mantis dance. Oh like, when you have god. sex with a woman, it's called the praying mantis. Oh my god. One day, I'm going to locate this karma sutra they have out there for ladies. They say it exists. I haven't found it. I haven't seen it. I don't believe anybody. But if I do find it, I'm going to see if that's a thing, because it has to be a thing. (laughs) (laughs) The scene's definitely on YouTube. You should check it out. Oh my god, I'm going to, and then I'm just going to sit here and laugh for like the next hour. It was very intense, like in the moment of watching it back in like 2007 or whatever, but... Looking back on it, I own, like, all three seasons on DVD, and I had recently rewatched it with my girlfriend, and we were just, like, laughing the whole time, because it was written by a man. Oh, my God. Yeah, and it was was shot during a time where, like, on that end network, they weren't really allowed to allude to the fact that they were having very, like, promiscuous sex, and, yeah, it's it's hilarious. It's funny. It's not that teenagers were having sex it's that non-street people were having sex that that always that always gets me how it's like the dual standards there is just absolutely crazy just absolutely crazy like it's fine for like regular like teen ah, i'm very passionate about this and it's hard to put into words have you 
seen the thing with the Tumblr breakdown that's going on right now? Yeah. Just like that's the that's the epitome of how I feel like Hollywood works. It's like it's okay if it's straight. Underage and straight is fine. But lo and behold, if we have two consenting adults that are not straight, it can't be on TV. Like, what is this crap? And like movies are trying to move away from it, but movies are movies are awful. Movies are still awful. And it's probably because the same people are still making them. So Yeah, like I, I haven't really seen a movie that really properly shows what it's like to have sex with another woman. Like, I was recently in a movie for for Tello, and they had a sex scene. Um, and when I went to the premiere, like, I don't know, three weeks ago, um, they they showed the scene, and it was like, it was you could you could tell it was very much written by a queer woman because it was it was just so much better than anything I've ever I've ever seen. Now I'm interested. What, what was the movie called? Or maybe you're not allowed to talk about oh, it. Oh, no, I can say. Um, it's called Alice and Iza, and you have to have a telefilm subscription, which is only like, gosh, I think it was like up to $20 a year or something like that just for the subscription. And then you get access to queer women, uh, all kinds of shows. Uh, there was like lip services on there now. And like, uh, God, I can't think. There's just so much. It's it's all queer women loving women movies and TV series. I remember I had a subscription with them once. And then I had that year where I was like, I have to turn off all of my subscriptions. And I just haven't gone back. It's like I have this weird. <laughs> Apparently, it's a big pattern for me to stop doing something and then not coming back to it. <laughs> but I remember watching Cowgirl Up when that was on. And that was actually really fun. I oh think the God, girl from South of Nowhere was there. And I'm going to rewatch Cowgirl Up because that's amazing. <laughs> I think that was, I can't remember which character it was from South of Nowhere, but I remember in the blooper reel they made a joke that she was in South of Nowhere. I think it's the girl who plays Ashley. Is it? What do you yeah. know? That's funny. I feel like I need to know so much more about the queer community. Every time I talk to somebody else, I'm just like, yeah, I, th I think I feel like I know it. And then I talk to somebody and I'm like, I've missed out on everything. <laughs> missed everything. I don't know what you're talking about. I have to go look it up now. And it's very educational. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, yeah no problem. So where can people find you? Where can people watch your show? I am on YouTube right now just because uh, it's a platform that I don't have to pay for, basically. Um, my YouTube is Queer Query, and it is... Uh, Basically, I mean, my face is the profile picture, so it's pretty easy to find. There are four episodes currently on the uh, username that I'm using. And then the fifth episode, the season finale, will be coming out uh, by New Year's. I'm not sure what the ac actual date is, though. Well, good luck to you on that. I really, I really hope it takes you far, and I really hope that you get a lot out of it and that your viewers get a lot out of it. Because it's, it's really a great thing that you're doing. Thank you. It doesn't matter how many platforms there are for people. We're always going to need more. And there's always going to be somebody who hasn't been heard. And I think, especially for us in the queer community, who usually don't see ourselves much in everyday life. Like, we have to go to the internet to see anything that's even remotely similar to how we feel or what our experiences are. I think it's just 
beautiful every time we have a new platform for somebody else to give their voice and to have somebody else connect to it and feel like, you know, they belong. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to put proper representation out there and spread knowledge about what it's like to be in the queer community. I just think that's really, really cool. It was really great talking to you. If you I'm really happy that I was given this opportunity to talk to you. It was good, good it was it was a good conversation. It was it was very stimulating, which is you know, I can't say that a lot. So <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. If there's anything that you want to talk about, anything about yourself, like an experience or another project that you're going through, you can feel free to come back at any time. I love return guests. I love checking up on people and seeing how they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Bye. <laughs> Bye. from my mic what is wrong with you get out of here sorry <laughs> just walked right up in the middle of an interview and was like hello they had something to say pippers has nothing to say she's a jerk she tried to knock over my christmas tree last night yeah i remember that <laughs> so sorry